bring in our very good friend, the former offensive lineman, fantastic player, but does a fantastic job, as we well know, on the Raiders Radio Network, the one and only Lincoln Kennedy. Link, what's happening, brother? TC, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great, man. Well, the Raiders respond to adversity last week with that victory over the New York Giants. What did you notice from week eight prior to everything that went down with the coaching change on to week nine and then the end result with the victory over the Giants? Well, you know, we got to take everything in stride first and foremost. I mean, first of all, the Giants aren't a good Yep. weren't a good football team, and they've had their fair share of injuries. So, you know, the way I thought about the approaching the Giant game was very similar to the way I thought they were going to approach the Chicago Bear game. That outcome was obviously different. They got beat by the Bears, and they were able to beat the Giants. With that being said, you know, it, it goes back to execution. It's what I've always said when it comes down when people want to ask about coaches. You know, on this level, to me, coaching is a little bit overrated. And what I mean by that is most professionals are already set in their ways by the time they get to that level. So what is a coach to do? A coach is supposed to use his knowledge, his or her knowledge, to enhance the abilities of the players that they're coaching, right? Well, that's what wouldn't happen. And for the last, I guess, a year and a half maybe, you can probably make it seem like they were not as motivated to play for Josh McDaniels as they were for Antonio Pierce. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't, I'm, I'm saying this, you know, just from what I observed, TC, because I wasn't in a locker room. I didn't play for the man, so I can't tell you what, if he's a good coach or not. But when you, when you, when we're in a position like we are, you and I are, we're in a position of assessing the performance and watching and critiquing and grading and talking about it. That's what you saw. You saw a conscious effort by the team last weekend against the Giants. Now, if they can keep it up for the remaining eight games, it'd be something to be said, but it's a, it's a big, it's a tall task to ask. And again, you know, you're not in that locker room per se, but you've been in locker rooms. You played for head coaches. I'm sure yeah. you, you know you, you've gone through you know coaching changes. You played for coaches that you liked, respected, and right. and and maybe you didn't. I don't know. But talk about it from that player's perspective. Didn't it seem like though? And then you know, talking to some of the players, that there was just this disconnect between Josh McDaniels and everybody else, and uh, and, and those players, and you know what that means to a player to now. Now actually play for a former player that maybe uh, maybe some of these guys didn't hear of Antonio Pierce as a player, but obviously, hey, he's walked in our shoes. Uh, he's he's gone through the same things that we're going. How much of a you know of a difference does that make if you're a player to now have you know the you know hearing a different voice for someone that you do respect and maybe you know Josh McDaniels was not in that same frame. Well, here's the thing. I, I will say this. Personally, this is my opinion, is I think that if anybody can coach, anybody's capable of coaching a football team to win, I don't care who they are. The coaches, will, the players will respect that, if that makes sense. All they want to do is win. They don't care who's coaching. They don't care, you know, if it's a person who never played football before or a person who played football all his life and now he's in coach. It doesn't really matter. What matters to them is the results. And they want to win. And so if you have that, then it's an apparent. Now, I played for coaches when you knew their head was on the chopping block and something else was going to happen. There's going to be a coaching change. I played for guys that way. And it's up to the individual to think of where they are or where they might want to be. A lot of times you're going to have guys that are calling their representation, their agents, and saying, you know what, I don't want to be here anymore. Get me the hell out of here. Figure out a way to get out of this contract or what have you. I don't want to be here anymore. You'll have guys say, you know what, I believe in the change. I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow AP. I want to stay here. I want to give him my all. You'll have guys that do it uh, as well. 
But the hardest thing about creating a team, TC, is having everybody on the same page and everybody with the same understanding. That's why every coach that comes into a new situation is going to say, look, guys, if you want to be on the ship with me, you've got to buy into the way I do things. We're going to do things this way, that way, or whatever. And for AP, it's we're going to do things the Raiders' way. Well, the Raiders want to win. I know collectively they want to win. The organization, Raider Nation, the fan base, everybody wants to see that, that group win. Only ones who are going to be able to do it are the players. Mm-hmm. Coaches coach, players play. So putting it out there, the results have to maintain the words that you're saying in the locker room or the meeting rooms in order for players to follow through. What does Antonio Pierce bring that you think maybe was missing before with Josh McDaniels? Oh, it's hard to say. Don't know that after one week. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't know that. Wouldn't know that till you see a, a you know a, a number of games put into put together. I mean, for example, I I had the most respect out of Rich Basaccia right. when he was the interim head coach two years ago. Right? Mm-hmm. Didn't last though. So. You see what I'm saying? They had a, had to have a plan to go out and find a new head coach, and they went out and they found Josh McDaniels because Josh McDaniels at the time had a plan for Derek Carr. Mm-hmm. I know how to coach a t- statuesque quarterback. They, their relationship fell apart. Derek Carr got shipped elsewhere. They get out and get Jimmy Garoppolo, and then you realize that he's got some limitations, or it seems like he has limitations, whether you know we know it for sure or not. And things all implode that way. You're not able to get it done. But you know, Coach McDaniel's got fired because he lost the locker room. That's what I believe wholeheartedly. He lost the locker room, and once Mark found out that he lost the locker room, he had to make a change. And I guess the reason why I asked that question the way I did is what does Antonio Pierce bring that maybe Josh McDaniels didn't have or was missing is because you've, you've heard from the players like, okay, well, now we're doing different things. And maybe the fun is, was taken out of it when McDaniels was there, not allowing the players to do certain things or have certain things going on in the locker room, whether that's post practice or, or, you know, off days or whatever it is, that sort of thing. So, I mean, how much does that play into, you know, a player kind of feeling, hey, you know, maybe some handcuffs are off me now, or now just it brings a a lighter, you know, a light to the locker room and and that and that sort of thing. Uh, I get again, that's how much does that play into it if you're a player? Well, I mean, it's hard to quantify because I'm not I'm not privy to the room, so I can't yeah. really give you an, an an opinion of what what was going on. But I will say this, and I and I'm just speculating off the information I do have. If Josh McDaniels ran the locker room anything like Bill Belichick runs in New England, then you would understand. You talk to a number of players, said, "Look, it's not fall. It's, it's not. It's not fun. I mean, this is Belichick ball. This is the New England Patriot way, or it's the highway." Okay, that was their thing, and I knew that firsthand back in when I played because I talked to a number of Patriot players, and when they had to go to to New England for off season workouts when it's cold in the winter, I'm like, "What are you doing? You live in Florida, you live in Texas, you live in California." It's like, look, if you don't go and do what Belichick says, he's not going to pay you, play you. So if it turned into that, I can understand why players are rubbed the wrong way. The thing is, for New England, for work for New England and Belichick, they won Super Bowls. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. you, 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 you want to get on board. You want to get on the boat with somebody who's already has a proven record, who's won multiple championships. If that's what you want, you're going to do it that way. Can't necessarily say that if you're the Raiders. You're coming into a situation where it hasn't been good. Yes, the team has a great tradition and a great history, but it hasn't resonated. And the, the Raiders have only been to the playoffs twice since I played. That was over 20 years ago. Yeah. 
Yeah. You see what I'm saying? They haven't won a playoff game. So that sort of feeling doesn't resonate. If you come with that attitude, that might have been the reason why he ran he ran all several players because he rubbed them the wrong way. It might very well be. I don't know. And, I, I, again, I don't like to speculate on things I don't know. I'm just giving you from the outside in my opinion what I see. Yeah, and that's what we're asking. Lincoln Kennedy uh, joins us uh, talking the, the Raiders get, uh, situation as they get ready to take on the Jets uh, coming up Sunday night. You mentioned Rich Basaccia. How similar do you think this is compared to what we went through two years ago when we, you know, again, second time in three years, the Raiders have gone through an interim head coach and we know the results were pretty good. We let that thing play out. Players like playing for Basaccia. The results were good. They won. Uh, we're going to the playoffs and, uh, now you kind of, you know, get this feeling like, okay, could this run happen again? Are you drawing any similarities from 2021 to now? Not yet. Again, we've only had one week. It's hard to it's hard to ascertain as to what the feeling of the locker room or where the direction they're going to head. Uh, mainly twofold. One, it's only been one week, and two, the teeth of the schedule. I mean, we have to see how they they performed well against a team they should beat. That was the Giants. Okay, that was last week. This one week got another team that they should beat because they have the offensive issues. But the Jets do have a good defense. So how are we going to move the ball and score points? That's my biggest concern. Beyond that, when you look at teams like playing the Dolphins, the Chiefs twice, you got to play the Chargers again, this season could still very well wind up as a disaster. Right. Does, does that make sense to you, TC? Uh, well, you're saying the same thing. I've been saying yeah. same thing. I mean, they, they were the benefactors of a pretty soft schedule up until this point. And like I said, right. they're going to get into the teeth of it. And I rattled off those exact same teams, you know, going over the next five weeks. So you're right. It's, it's going to get tougher and you shouldn't read too much into being a bad Giants team. And like you said, you, you got the Jets defensively. Yeah. That, that could be a nightmare. We'll get into that matchup here in a minute. But, you know, again, the Jets are, are offensively challenged more so than probably um, the Raiders are. Uh, yes, exactly right. But again, the, the, because they have a prominent defense, and you know the Jets have a notable running back, so they actually have two with Cook and, and Hall, but you talk about the Raiders' struggles defensively, they haven't been able to stop the run. Most of the running backs they played have averaged five yards a crack. Mm-hmm. That's a first down, half a first down every time you give them the ball. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So it's, it, we, again, we, I've always felt, TC, that coaches get too much credit when things go right, like quarterbacks. Yep. Too much blame when things go wrong, like quarterbacks. All right. Let's so talk. when you when all this past week and so I've been answering the questions about what does AP bring to the table. Well, as a former player, I I can assume that he's going to be. I want you to be as intense as I was when I won the Super Bowl with the Giants, when we beat the undefeated New England Patriots, when we you know when the things that he can hold his hat like every player would like to have that feather in their hat, but. You talk about the coach. You also have to talk about the opponent. You talk about the game plan. What do they have at their disposal? I mean, the Raiders have a got playmakers on both sides of the ball. Now, it's whether or not they're all going to stand up at the same time. When That's when game time happens. Aiden O'Connell, uh, he's the choice at quarterback. Uh, numbers not great, but, you know, he, he got the job done. 16 for 25, 209 yards, did not throw a touchdown, but more importantly, didn't turn it over. No interceptions. And actually, that's the first time that a Raiders quarterback did not throw an interception or the team didn't have a turnover. So they, they, How about they, that? they exactly. I mean, here we are, wait, uh, nine games into it. And that's the first time we could say that. Uh, from what you saw, Lincoln, as you're calling the game on Sunday, greatest performance. Well, I would say his performance was solid. And the main reason TC is performance solid is because he had a run game. Mm-hmm. 
Whenever a quarterback has a run game, it's his best friend because all the pressure doesn't fall on him. Now the difference of the two starts between the Chargers and the Giants start was also he got rid of the football. Pre-snap reads weighed weighed big dividends for him, paid big dividends for him, because when he went to the line, there was a couple of instances, two instances that come to mind right away, and there was no middle linebacker in the field. He had the slant routes for big hits. So, you know, that's just called a quarterback reading the defense. And part of this offense, as I do know it, is you read the safeties and you read the alignment of the corners. Then you read the box. That's your, that's sort of your progression. Once you have an understanding with that, you should know in your mind where I could be able to go with the football. That's how you speed up. That's how you expedite things. All the good quarterbacks have been able to do it. Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, all those guys. I'm not saying Aiden O'Connell's in that book, but I'm just saying all the good quarterbacks have to know that because that's the next level of sort of evolution when it comes to playing football on this level. After coming out of college, seeing what you've seen, now you got to do it in the pros. It's much faster and usually a little bit different because you have different combinations that you can play with the speed and the, and the athleticism that your guys have. You know, the run game got uh, got going last week. The Raiders had 125 rushing yards. Josh Jacobs ended up with 98. Seemed like the message was sent early as Jacobs got the first, what, three carries of the game. What does this offense look like going forward for the Raiders? It still needs to be a little bit more developed. And the way it needs to be developed is you've got to find a way to get the tight ends and the slot receiver, Hunter Renfro, whomever, involved in this offense. Um, that's what's necessary. Look, you saw it, it made sense to give the ball to Josh Jacobs. It makes sense to find a way to get the ball to Devontae Adams. It makes sense to Jacoby Myers. But you've got other tight ends. You've got Michael Mayer, who turns out to be a pretty, seems to be a pretty good tight end who's developing into one. He needs to work on his run blocking. But you also got, you know, Tucker, Tucker and stuff like that. And you got Hunter Renfro. Uh, these are players that you can rely on or you should be able to rely on in your offense. You just got to find a way to get the football to them. So I think the evolution of the offense is still something waiting to be seen. Look, what happened in the first eight weeks, I think it was, we didn't see a lot of creativity or imagination when it came to creating these plays. You saw it like flash in the pants. For example, we go back to the, to the, to the jet sweep that we saw in Buffalo. It scored, right? It right. scored. It's the first time I ever seen the jet sweep score that the Raiders ran. Every time they ran it after that, it was been pretty, bit, pretty much stuffed until they ran it with Jacoby Myers this past weekend. See, they didn't show that on film. You see what I'm saying? They showed it with Tucker, but they didn't show it with Jacoby Myers. And when Jacoby Myers took it, it was a surprise because nobody was ready for it. Nobody was on the defense was looking for it. That's the imagination and creativity we need to see more of. All right. Defense uh, came up big. Granted, it was the Giants and a backup quarterback for a majority of the game with Tommy DeVito, but they did have eight sacks. They held the Giants three for 12 and third down, one for five on fourth down. Uh, and again, you're facing an opponent that uh, is facing a backup quarterback this week against the Jets. What do you expect to see from that side of the ball? Raiders defense against uh, Zach Wilson struggling offensive unit. If, if I'm coming into Allegiant Stadium and I'm the Jets, I'm going to run the ball 75% of the time if I can. I'm going to hand the ball off. I'm going to trust my line to try to get into this defensive line, defensive front, because the Raiders have not been good at stopping the run. And I'm going to try to run the ball. I'm going to try to use, utilize that as my offense. As far as passes go for Zach Wilson, I don't want him passing over 15 yards if I don't have to. So this is when it, this is a classic case, a classic game to me to see where your offense, the Raiders offense becomes their best defensive weapon. And the way they do that is by scoring touchdowns. If you score touchdowns, you put the pressure on the opposing team. Now they've got to pass to get back into the game. 
They've got to pass to try to score points quickly. They can't rely on the run, especially if you go up by double digits. That allows your defense to be better, to play better, to play more uh, effectively in the sense where you, your guys, like Max Crosby, can just take back their ears and rush the quarterback. Mm-hmm. That would, that's the, the, the way that offense sort of, you know, the, the plays into defense and defense vice versa is if you can able to, you're able to do that. But if I'm the Jets coming in, I'm running the ball 75% of the time until you take it away. Yeah. And especially when you got a, a guy that can be a workhorse in Brees Hall and they got Dalvin Cook as well, even though Cook's really Absolutely. not seeing much of the, uh, much, you know, many, many of the snaps, but, uh, but, but Hall, uh, ran hard against the Chargers. Man, just they couldn't yeah. crack it with that offensive line. But let's talk about that Jets defense. And you mentioned it earlier. I mean, they, they are the real deal and you yeah. almost feel sorry for those guys, especially looking at that game on Monday night against the Chargers where, I mean, they, they tried to keep that team in the game as, as much as they possibly could. It probably could be the same situation against the Raiders coming up Sunday night. The Jets' defense held uh, Justin Herbert to 136 yards passing. Uh, and actually, Wilson had a better QBR than Herbert. Herbert's QBR was only 65.4. What is the best way to attack that Jets defense when you know you got great corners and you got Sauce Gardner and you got some tough linebackers there? Uh, I guess, you know, you tell me. I mean, you're going to have, you're going to try to run it at them because through the air could be just very treacherous. Yeah, you're going to try to run it at them because that's who you are. You want to be, you want to be as balanced as you can when you talk about, you know, being an offensive coordinator. You want to be as balanced as you can. You don't want to be pass happy or run happy until they take one thing away and force you to be that. What I would, but I, as far as I did, the Jets are concerned, my game plan going into it is I need first down production. I need to get at least four to five yards on first down because I need to set up second and third down for manageable situations. If I find myself behind the ball, if I have a penalty and it's first and 15, the, the, the Jets are capable of rushing four and generating pressure. Every Robert Sala coach team has had that privilege. And so they can rush four. And as porous as the Raiders' offensive line is, last thing I want to do is kind of try to have to back up and throw the ball 65, 70 times a game. Does that make sense, TC? Yeah, of course it does. <laughs> so, so, so the thing is that you want to be balanced going forward. You want to try to put, you try to run the ball. You're going to try to do or take advantage of some of the things the Chargers did. You know, it wasn't the fact that Justin Herbert had a bad game or you know, not necessarily a, in, in, in a good game in a sense statistics wise, but his game was effective. He didn't throw a lot of interceptions. I don't have the final stats in front of me, but he also had touchdowns, and that was the difference. See, for the Raiders. Their success stems off, and it has to stem off of scoring touchdowns. Threes just aren't going to get it. The kicking game is too good in the National Football League. More importantly, opposing offenses have been rather, well, this year is a little bit down statistically, but in the past have done well in the red zone against the Raiders. So the Raiders need to score touchdowns rather than threes. You got it. All right, he is Lincoln Kennedy. He'll be on the broadcast again, Raiders Radio Network, coming up Sunday Night Football. The Raiders taking on the Jets. Link, let's talk about your college alma mater. This team, the Washington Huskies, are 9-0, and brother. I mean, right. what is different about these Huskies when you look at them? Well, uh, two things. <laughs> They've got a running game. <laughs> yeah. You didn't necessarily say that last year, but they got a running <laughs> game. And defense is playing. It still has a bend but don't break mentality. When you have as potent of an offense as the Huskies are, they can score on just about anybody <clears throat> with that quarterback and that receiver combo. So, you know, they're going to put up touchdowns. They're going to put pressure. You, you, you're often seeing a lot of games out of the Pac-12 used to be like the Big Ten, especially when you're playing SC. Team that has the ball last is going to win. Uh, because everyone's defense seems to be so porous and that offense is, is as good as it, as it's called for. But my point is this is, is the Huskies are, have a benefit of having a run game 
And then they have uh, an offense that can score touchdowns, much like what we were talking about with the Raiders on, on the National Football League level. That makes them incredibly hard. And I'm not like the, I'm not like the Miami Dolphins who were just waiting because I was one of the only undefeated teams or the only undefeated team to go in Husky history to win a championship. I'm not like the Miami Dolphins and waiting for somebody to fail. I want them to go all the way. Right. I don't know how they're going to do in the playoff, dogs, but I hope they go all the way. <laughs> yeah, you're not sitting there with, with all the guys, you know, get, uh, you know, popping champagne when, when somebody, uh, you know, gets a loss. Awesome, there, right? No, no. And how about this Pac-12, man? I mean, of course, you know we're going to get the Pac-12 championship game here, and you've got kind of a little bit of a conundrum. Sure, you got Oregon, you got Washington, but you know you still got Utah. Uh, even though they're not the same team, even though they put a drilling on ASU last week, and then this USC team. I mean, you know, again, great offense, and they they put up 42 against the Huskies, and they were right there. But you know how it is. It's like okay, you know, first team to punt's probably going to lose in in these type of shootouts. But you know, you still got you know spoilers that can can play a role in this thing. Who do you think ends up in the Pac-12 championship game? And then looking forward, Link, uh, what about the chance of of this uh, conference winner getting to the college football playoff? Well, the, the best way that I can break it down is given my assessment for for the top teams in the conference. Um, I think Oregon's the most complete team in the conference. Okay, and so I think they're at the top of the list. Um, second, right behind them is Washington. I know Washington beat them, um, and so most people will say, well, Washington gets a nod. Eh. When you're talking about complete team, I, I don't look through, you know, jaded glasses. and They're not purple for a reason because I want to see the whole thing. I think Washington has some holes especially on defense, and that's one of the reasons why both Oregon and SC were able to score as many points as they, they do. But, you know, I think Washington is really close. I think Washington can be competitive, and because that offense is as good as it is, I think that they can score on anybody. I think they can keep up with anybody. Um, SC, you already know about SC. They've got a, ter- a, a talented offense, but more or less a terrible defense the way it was run. And they fired their defense coordinator, so it is what it is. They were moving on from there, but I still think they're a very dangerous team, especially with that offense. And the power that they have to be able to score. As far as the next one goes, Utah. Well, Utah has always been known for solid defense and running the football. But without a quarterback, all teams are doing is stacking the box, going to take all that away. And you know, for what it's worth, they—I mean, it, they had a real strong outing against ASU. But ASU uh, still has their fair share of problems and injuries, and they're they're a work in progress. So you know you can only take that with a grain of salt. Big test will be this weekend when Utah goes to Washington to see if they can slow down that that offensive passing attack. And the style of defense that Utah plays is a big gamble. They are extremely aggressive. So when they get burnt, they get burnt deep. I don't know if they'll have enough offensive stand power, uh, willpower to stand up against. And then the next one is Oregon State. I think Oregon State's a solid team, but they have they've had their fair share of inconsistencies. So I don't know if they're going to be able to challenge for the Pac-12 championship, but they could still be spoiler. Uh, what I love about this conference, TC, the Pac-12, is that any given Saturday, any team, top to bottom, can spoil it. So it doesn't matter if you're talking about Arizona, Wazoo, they've all been spoiler already before to other teams. Um, and UCLA and all is all in that mix as well, as Arizona State was Washington's, you know, sort of Achilles heel for a long time. Washington barely beat them, as you know, in the pick six in order to win the game. So, you know, it's just a very competitive conference that I have the utmost respect for. Sad to see it go bye-bye or by the wayside in the history that's going to be stoned. 
But as far as the Pac-12 championship goes, I think it comes down to Oregon and Washington. Yeah, and uh, I mean, still a tough schedule for the Huskies. Utah yeah. this week, as we talked about, Oregon State, and they got to go to Corvallis. So yeah. that's going to be tough. And then, as you know, that Apple Cup, Washington yeah. State. So if they run the table, I mean, very well deserving you know, to be in that conversation, depending on what happens uh, in the Pac-12 championship game, though, because they still got three very tough football games. And yeah. real quick, Link, before we let you go, talk about that, you know, the rivalries in college football and, and playing against a, a Wazoo team that is is no pushover and what that's like in your final regular season game, playing outdoors, usually in clement weather. I mean, that that's tough, man, right? Oh, there's no doubt about it. It's tough. Going over to Corv- going over to Wazoo is always tough. And I, I remember my last college football game was over in Pullman. Well, actually, last regular season game with the end of the Rose Bowl, and they they ended our our search for a second national title by by beating us uh, there in, in Wazoo. So um, it's always a tough place to play. But to your point, you know, with the remaining schedule, my biggest fear is that, and I don't want to see a repeat. I think that if obviously if Washington wins out, they're going to be in the the college football playoff. Okay, that's that's more than obvious because Ohio State and Michigan will take care of themselves. That will fall out, and probably the same thing for Florida State and maybe the ACC championship game, maybe. But one of those teams are going to drop out uh, from uh, being above them. So I don't have any problem with that, but they have their task ahead of winning it. it it's always difficult to sort of you know, reminisce and quantify what rivalries mean to you. When I was playing at Washington, the most important rivalries for me, especially in my early years, were SC and UCLA because I'm a Southern California kid. Right. So we take it personal. You know, I'm playing against guys I know. But after my years of being there, I learned the disdain of Oregon. I learned the disdain of Wazoo. I learned the disdain of Oregon State. And I remember that, you know, Coach James, may he rest in peace, used to always talk about, first, let's take care of the Northwest because this gives us recruiting rights. Washington, Wazoo, Oregon State, Oregon. That's the Northwest. Now let's win the Pac-10 because we want to represent the Pac-10 and Rose Bowl. It was the Pac-10 back then. That's how we did it. And so I was fortunate enough to have three Pac-12 or Pac-10 championships and play in the Rose Bowl three times. But the rivalries, they were vicious. They were vicious when we had to go to Wazoo. They were vicious when we had to go to Eugene or, or Corvallis. They were vicious. There's no doubt about it. And, man, now it's all going to be gone after this season. Yeah. Man. Just crazy. Just crazy. My man, I appreciate it. Uh, great stuff uh, on the radio, on the Raiders, on the radio network. I appreciate you joining us. And I know you're still doing a lot of uh, college football uh, oh, yeah. as well. So uh, great seeing you, man. Look forward to seeing you on Sunday as we get yeah. ready for Raiders and Jets. Let's do it. I'll see you soon, brother. Be Take well. Care. I appreciate you. There he is, Lincoln Kennedy, one of the best. Uh, he was a fantastic college player, great uh, all pro in the NFL as well, too. And again, part of the, uh, you know, a last undefeated college football team, University of Washington, back in the day.